0: knocks on her son's bedroom door and says hey get up it's time to go to church right been there before because they don't they don't want to wake up and get up and go to church you know that kind of thing they get too cool for it hey get up knocks on the door hey um uh, you know get up it's time for you to go to church he says i'm not going to church this morning the son says I'll be like, excuse me? All right. Um, She says, You got to get up and go to church. No, I'm not, says the son. Yes, you are, says the mother. Here we go, right? Back. Yes, yes, you are. No, I'm not. They don't like me and I don't like them. Give me two good reasons why I should have to go. So the mother thought for a second as she patiently replied. Number one, You're 55 years old. And number two, you're the pastor. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I can relate sometimes, right? Uh, Except for the fact that I don't live at home with my mom. Right? I'm not 55 years old. And I still think people here like me. <clears throat> At least I hope you do. All right. Um, but um, <clears throat> anyways, so we're we're celebrating, you know, ten years today. Ten years, um, you know. Actually, this month we've kind of, if if you really want to know, kind of you put a head on it. Um, it was probably the second week in February when we had our official launch date. Um, but because of like Valentine's Day weekend and stuff like that, we kind of have moved it around, sometimes we've had it towards the end of February, sometimes towards the beginning. We kind of thought we were launching a new children's ministry directive back there in the back with Pastor Devin and thought that, hey, you know what, let's just do it all in the same day and just have a really fun day with it and stuff. I'm really excited about, you know, what they're doing back there. It looks looks really fun and really cool for our kids, something that we're, we've been really kind of pushing for anyways. <clears throat> but so Ten years, it's been an interesting journey, to say the least. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that happened probably um, 11 years ago, 11 years ago in a month, we, um, probably even before that, I felt like God was stirring in my spirit when we were down in Florida as youth pastors, you know, for about eight years, um, that, that God was going to move me back up here to this area. <clears throat> didn't really know what that was going to look like, but my wife and I were praying about it. To be quite honest, I loved being in Florida. Uh, I had a little boat that I'd go out fishing on and uh, do some flats fishing, and uh, we had a tremendous amount of favor there with the pastor and, and would still do. We have a great relationship with them down there. Um, but I felt like God was... Stirring something in my spirit that we were going to move back, and we don't really know what it was. And we started praying, and after just kind of a series of events, we, we felt confirmed that God wanted us to come up here and plant this church. And so, <clears throat> probably eleven years ago in January, we met with our pastor the first time and said, "Hey, um, we feel like God wants us to go plant a church in in the Birmingham area." Well, he wasn't really all that excited about it, and, ch- and the truth be known is that we were pretty nervous too. And if you just kind of know. What happened was, you know, we went and told them, and then probably a week later, we, we 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 sweated it out so bad, like, gosh, we just, what are we thinking? What are we doing? We got so many people here that love us, and so many good things that are happening. It just doesn't make sense for us to, to change. And we went back to them and said, you know what? We changed our mind. We're not going. And then, you know, after fighting that and wrestling and that in my spirit, just that, that directive, but all the unknowns that went along with it, um, uh, back in, and then... Probably six months later in the summer, we went back to him. I had some conversations with some people and some pastors that I trusted that could get, give me some wisdom. And I think it was probably August we went back to them um, in 2008 and said, hey, you know what? It, it is time for us. We're going to end up moving on. We're going to do it around December and, and kind of move back. So <clears throat> we, um, we started kind of putting everything together for there for somebody to take our place and to, Kind of keep the ball rolling with our ministry that we were uh, we, we had there, and um, and we started planning for our future, and we we moved back up here, and um, I think they had just built this high school that uh, that summer of, of 2008, and uh, <clears throat> we came up here in November, and we um, we came up here and met with a couple families that we kind of knew were, uh, we knew personally that lived in the area. Some people that had served with us down in Florida and had since moved back up here to the Birmingham area. And uh, we had some meetings with them, just asking people if they'd be willing to help us. <coughs> Sorry, guys. If you heard me last week, I could barely talk, right? I was like, <laughs> I sound like a dying whale when I was worshiping Jesus. Um, not that I really know what a dying whale sounds like, but. <coughs> I guess it's bad, right? So, um, anyways, we came up here in November. We met with the principal saying, hey, I think we'd like to use the the church, uh, uh, the school for, you know, as a church plant. Uh, We've got a lot of people in the community that are going to kind of be a part of this. And he was cool. So we went back during Thanksgiving, went back, started packing up all of our stuff. And we moved like probably four days before Christmas. Um, Neither one of us had jobs. When we, when we moved up here, we, d- we didn't know how we were even going to be able to make money. We had three kids at the time. The truth being known is it was probably two weeks before we moved up here, and we didn't even know where we were going to live. <coughs> and, um, you know, so something opened up for us to be able to move into a house, and, and that kind of worked out. And then when we got up here, um, you know, Crystal got a job. I struggled to find, um, you know, some stuff. As a matter of fact, in my first job, the first year that we were here planting the church, The only job that I could find at the time, and of course this was, you know, right in the middle of when, you know, kind of the market went bad and housing, you know, kind of crashed. And that was kind of the issue that we had with with our house down in Florida. We couldn't sell our house. We were having to rent our house out and just a lot of different things that were going on. So the only job that I could find was um, throwing uh, papers for the Birmingham News back when Birmingham News actually delivered every day. Now I think they only do it like three days a week or something like that or four days a week or something. Um, and so every day, without exception, right, because um, you still get your paper, you know, on Thanksgiving and on Christmas and all those kinds of days, you you know, those, the, you know, people still want their paper, they want their news. Back when people actually read printed news, right, now it's all off Twitter. or, You know, <clears throat> and so every night, basically, from, uh, you know, one o'clock in the morning to about six o'clock in the morning. I would drive up to a warehouse in Pelham. I would have to take papers and roll them and stick them in a bag and then put them in a cart and take this cart of about two to three hundred newspapers and put them in my car in a way where I could reach them while I'm driving, right? And then I drove through Helena for hours just throwing papers out the window, right? So I was a glorified um, newsie is what I was. I was a I could have been riding on a bike. it was interesting to say the least and um, and, and and about that time you know we had um, we had about five families that that were willing to help us uh, start the church. Uh, we started in two thousand and nine of february valentine 's weekend. I think we had you know about thirty something people or so here and on that first sunday and and if you've um, The only people that I know off the top of my head that have been with us since the very, very first Sunday that are here, Pastor Rob and Priscilla, who at the time weren't pastors. They were just people in the church. Um, And I think my mom and dad actually came to the first Sunday as well. And, um, you know, all of the friends and the people that we had that helped us planted, most of them were gone within, um, you know, six months or so. We had a little bit of turnover really early, which from what I understand was, was pretty normal anyways. And, um, and, um, uh, Pastor Jeremy and Josie, who helped us plant and start the church, who are now actually pastors down at our Umbrella Church down in Florida, they're youth, pa- uh, children's pastors down there, um, and of course they were with us for, you know, about six or seven years of, of all of that. Um, and so we kind of, you know, started from nothing. We had, I think at the time, um, our, our church plant down in Florida, um, told us that they would give us $1200 a month for the first year to help us out. And if you know anything about church budgets, that's just not a lot of money, right? So, uh we had we had nothing. We had we had no denominational help. We had no uh st- stack of money sitting in a savings account to help us go buy sound equipment, uh, lighting equipment, um, you know, signs or any of those kinds of things. We just kind of um and for me, it was one of those things because nowadays, most church planting organizations would tell you that's just not the way you do it. Um, and, and certainly, I will even say that it's been harder probably because of that. But for me, it was an Abraham moment, right? It was a God said, Pack up your stuff and go and do what I tell you to do, right? Not, you know, why don't you make some plans? Why don't you take some time and put it all together and raise all this money and do all this kind of stuff? He just said, God said, I want you to go. I want you to do what I tell you to do, and that was kind of the directive that I felt even after praying about other opportunities, and uh, and that's what we did. And we kind of moved up here, just to, you know, not knowing where we were going to make money, you know, how we were going to live, um, you know, how things were going to go. And um, it's crazy because we came up here and and just just thinking about some of the things that that happened to us over the past ten years. When we When we came up here in here to and, and we moved up here in December, my brother in law and I went to speak to the principal again to make sure that everything was good as far as us renting the facility and This was between Christmas and New Year's. We walked actually down this long hall right here back here in the back, and they were having a basketball tournament going on and the principal was back here, and he saw us coming, and he started walking to us, and he walked right up to us and he said, "Hey." He said, man, I've I really been uh, trying to get a hold of you guys. Like, oh, right. Okay, because I never got a phone call or an email or nothing. But he said, really trying to get a hold of you guys. You know, since the last time I talked to you, we had another church in the area that came and talked to us about using um, the facilities here. And, you know, because they were in the community, we went ahead and, and, and let them do it. And so I was like, wow, really? I said, that's... Uh, that really kind of messes up our plans. I I really wish we would have known. I mean, you know, if you had any questions or concerns, and he was like, I'm really sorry. He said, but I'll tell you what. He he said this. He said, well, I'll tell you what. um, They're going to use the cafeteria for their church and a couple of these classrooms over here. If you want, y'all can use the auditorium, and um, we can give you a couple rooms over here off to the side. And, you know, all the, you know, the, um, the walls and stuff are soundproof and stuff. So, And um, so what we decided before we left, we said, well, we better take him up on the offer before he changes his mind. And let's go see if we can't find something else, right? So uh, that's what we did. We said, okay, you know, we'll do that. And then we we went out looking. And there was nowhere else. There was a church being planted at the, the middle school. There was a church being planted at the elementary school. And this was the only school that didn't have a church planted in it. And everywhere else, the rent was crazy. And like I said, we didn't have a whole lot of money coming in. So we didn't really know what to expect or think that we could go rent out a warehouse and and, and fix it up and everything. And so we ended up having to just start here. And so what we did is probably for the first um, nine to ten months of the church, there was a church that met in here. And there was a church that met back there. All right. And so, which was that's right. I mean, that's just, so we used the same parking lot. They came through these doors over here, and all of our people had to enter in through these back doors over here. so um, we had greeters standing outside our doors over here they had greeters standing outside their doors over there. We had people showing up to their church looking for our church we had people showing up to our church looking for their church and it was a, it was an interesting um, ordeal. We never had any problems with them uh, as a matter of fact we we tried to even continue to build a relationship with them we and a donation to them to kind of help them out as well because, you know, we believed in the kingdom, right? And there's different strokes for different folks, man. And so we're all we're for the kingdom. We're not all about us and, and, and nobody else. And so, you know, we had all that, and then eventually they moved out down to the intermediate school, and they ended up merging with another church plant that I'm not sure, um, I think it, it was... Um, Westwood's campus that had started up or something like that. but um, We've had Sundays. where We've come in here where we had no power. <clears throat> no power. Um, anybody here on a Sunday when we had no power? Well, my son, of course. <clears throat> right? Um, one Sunday we showed up. There was no power in the auditorium or anything that way, but gymnasium in that way had power. So that Sunday morning we showed up, we literally had to get all of our stuff off, well not all of our stuff, we didn't really have this big screen and all that kind of stuff anyways, but our sound system and everything, we had to take it into the gym and we had to have church in the gym with gym lights and it's just like, basically it was just a sound system and speakers and, and a guitar and a couple singers and it was a very interesting setup as you can imagine trying to throw that curveball. We've had we've had Sundays where we've come in here and had no lights, Now we've had power but no lights. One Sunday we had no lights, and um, what we had to do is we had to, like, open up all the doors where there was light, like that door to the outside, so we could get just a little bit of light into the auditorium, so we could actually have service in here. <laughs> Can you imagine, right? Um, uh, you know, now we kind of provide all of our own lighting and all of our own sound, but there have been... Uh, for the most part, for the first probably five or six years, we used their lighting system up here. And what we would have is literally we would go months where there would only be like two lights that worked up there because all the rest of them were blown out. So we would have like a spot right here that had light, and we had like a spot over here. We had to kind of move people around. I had to be like preach from over here, and then if I wanted to go to this side, I got to get over here. Otherwise, I'm just kind of like in this big dark shadow everywhere else I go on the stage. And they couldn't could, never replace the lights, and then sometimes we would have lights in here, but it would be like one or two lights that worked even in the auditorium. And, and uh, of course, you know, most of the time they blamed us because the lights, you know, got burned out. And, and uh, man, it was a, it was an interesting ordeal. We had we had the fire alarm go off before, um, and while we were in church. The fire department has to show up. We're having to escort them around, saying so look at everything, and, and we're just trying to deal with it. Man, it has been. Um, it has been a journey, it's been a journey, Um, we've seen good days, and, um, and, you know, we've seen bad days, Um, we've been, um, we've been locked out of classrooms before, Um, places where, where we, you know, normally set up, Um, you know, they, they, you know, would lock the doors, and and we couldn't ever get in, so then we, we'd have to, like our children's church, for example, back here in the cafeteria, there's been several Sundays where we come, and they locked all the doors to the children's, to the cafeteria, and then we have to set up in a hallway or something like this. It's just, you know, it's just crazy stuff that happens when you're, you're meeting in a school. <clears throat> and um, and I, I remember having a conversation with my brother-in-law <clears throat> um, when we first started the church, back 10 years ago. Um... We kind of told each other, we said this, we said, Hey man, and this is, you ever heard of Tommy Barnett? You ever heard of the guy, Tommy Barnett? He's a guy that, um, he's a, uh, guy that was the, uh, the pastor of the Phoenix First Assembly of God and uh, started the Dream Center as uh, his church was, was known for also starting master's commission and some of the, actually the discipleship internship movement that exists in church today was basically because of what master's commission started, and, uh, and their church, in the Dream Center. You ever heard of the Dream Center? Uh, out, okay, out in uh, California and stuff now, but it was started in Phoenix. And um, He said, I remember you know listening to a lot of his sermons and podcasts and reading some of his book about you know, pursuing your dreams. He said, um, you know, time that you have a dream and something you want to do, and he said, you better be willing to give it at least five years, right? You better be willing to give it at least five years. And I thought to myself, five years, okay. I remember having a conversation with Pastor Jeremy. I said, "Hey, man, and we're going to do this church plant thing, right? But if we're in the school in five years, I'm out of here. <clears throat> I'm out of here. You know, if we're still in this school in five, he's like, dude. He said, I ain't. He said, I ain't kidding, man. If we're still in the school in five years, there's no doubt, man. All right? <clears throat> um, so you know, you know how that worked out, right?" So, um, of course, he left me. I guess he he decided to live up to his his end of it. <laughs> Just kidding, we, we love them. they They come back from time to time and and, and do some stuff, and I actually think they 'll probably come back and join us eventually one day, but um, <clears throat> you know obviously, you know when, when you when you have conversations like that, you know it was a conversation that we had amongst ourselves, right, and now here we are, ten years. Um, we're, we're still meeting in a school and setting up every weekend and tearing down every weekend. And uh, when you have those conversations, you kind of, it's one of those things where it's not, it's not hard to recognize the fact that things haven't gone the way that we thought they were going to go, right? Right? Um, what happens to you in, your, in life when things don't go the way you hope they go? Huh? What happens to you in life what kind of decisions that do you make? What kind of person do you become when things don't go the way that you thought that you were going to go? You know, because I can, I can tell you, you know, being in, in ministry uh, at every position, in every place, and especially in youth ministry, um, every place we went, we saw God do incredible things. A lot, of, and, I, I, and if I'm just being, you know, honest, man, we've seen a lot of struggle here doing this church plant. It's just been... And and we can't really fit all of our finger on all of it, put all of our finger on all of it and why it exists. I think there are some things that I can always get better at and things that, you know, the nature of ministry is that there's always something you can do better, right? There's always something. Um, but things haven't gone the way that I hoped that they would go or anybody here that helped us plant in the church that, that hoped that we would go. And so, you know, you have those conversations, but... Um, um you know our plans aren't always god's plans right um bible says that you know that man can make his plans but the lord determines his steps right so a lot of times we can have our own idea of how life is supposed to work how things are supposed to happen um you know how God is supposed to work in our life. How God is supposed to do all of these things, and and sometimes what what happens is is that God doesn't work the way that we think that He ought to work, and sometimes His ways are different than our ways. We all, you know scripture says that his, his you know God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, um, and so you know in our life in your life, you know what do you do? You know how do you respond? What do you do? When things don't go your way, how do you respond in moments like that? When things aren't happening the way um, that 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 God uh, that you thought they were supposed to happen, or you thought that God was going to do for you, all any of those kinds of things. Um, and so um, <clears throat> this is kind of what I want to talk about today. This this, and I think that this is something that's lost in in in. Uh, you, maybe it's. The American church culture, and maybe it's um, maybe it's just the American culture that kind of bleeds into the church, and it's something that we just kind of subconsciously do, and we don't really understand that we do it. Um, but it is the mentality that, like, hey, if, if things don't go the way I want, then I'm gonna I'm gonna bail on somewhere else. If things don't go the way I hoped then i'm going to bail out and go find another way or another place or another person or something like that and it's just so easy for us to just maybe push the reset button because we because our expectations of how life is supposed to go and how god is supposed to work in our lives sometimes can be um so temporary and so momentary that we just think that 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 that, that if god is going to work right So if God is going to do something in a church, then the church is going to explode. If God is going to use a church to make a difference, then it's, it's got to happen this way because this is what the experts say and this is what we see in other places or whatever it is. Or if God is going to work in my life, if he's going to do something in my marriage, if he's going to do something in my family or my career or any of those kinds of things, then this is what it's going to look like because this is what it looks like for everybody else. And that's just not the way it works. And so, um, I want to I talk about this a little bit. You know, many years ago, I, I preached a sermon. Actually, I think it was when I was in youth ministry, I preached a sermon. It was called Faith Like Water, right? Faith Like Water, having faith like water. You know what water does? <clears throat> it follows the path of least resistance, right? Right? It follows the path of least resistance. When water runs down, okay, um, it will go along the path of the least resistance. And sometimes we can have faith in our life like water. Where our, we will have faith as long as we can follow the path of least resistance. And I'm, I'm just saying to you that maybe... Um, maybe God doesn't want your faith to be like water where you follow the path of least resistance, and maybe God puts resistance in your life for a purpose and for a season, for a greater purpose uh, and a greater meaning, not only for you, but for other people around you or for your family or whatever it is. Um, and, and we've got to, um, we've got to keep ourselves... From from living a life where our faith looks like water, where th- that we will believe God to the point that where we don't have a lot of resistance, uh, because I believe that God wants those kinds of things, and we talked about that before. I want to read you a passage out of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter six. You can turn there with me if you like, or. Uh, <clears throat> Today I kind of wanted to be a little bit more, a little bit more chill and lay back. This reason why I kind of brought a stool out here, just to kind of sit down. I just want to talk a little bit um, about some stuff. And I hope that it really ministers to you um, and, and, and really means something. But there's a passage here in Hebrews chapter six, um, verses nine through twelve. Listen to what what they say right here. It says, um, though we speak in this way. Yet in our case, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. All right. So this passage right here is really something that is, um, you know, encouraging us as believers um, to, to remain diligent, to not be sluggish. Um, you know, there's other passages that, that talk about some of this aspect, you know, do, you know, do not grow weary in doing good because you will reap a harvest if you do not give up, right? Um, so there's a lot of pastors told me this, and we kind of get the same feel from this message right here uh, from the writer of Hebrews, and he's, he's encouraging God's people. He's encouraging you. He's encouraging me that, that good things are going to come and that you need to stay diligent. To ministering to people, to loving people, to reaching out to people, to making a difference, to connecting, to, to serving, to, to doing whatever it is that God wants you to do. Whatever dream, whatever purpose that God's placed in your life, that he wants you to remain diligent. And then, But I, I really want to highlight this last section uh, in, 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 in verse 9. And so listen, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators... Of those who, th- uh, of those who, through faith and patience, inherited the promises. Okay. Those who, through faith, and patience, inherited or received the promises. So the Bible here says that we're supposed to be imitators of people who showed through faith and patience received the promises. So when God gives you a promise and He declares something over your life, you need to understand something. That it's going to take faith along with patience to inherit the promise. Right? Okay. Faith is... Faith is... We know, you know, Hebrews says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But faith, really what faith is, is that it is... um, It is... Um, living like God has already given you the promise, right? Faith is living like God has already given you the promise, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, that substance is something that is tangible. It's something that you do. Faith is an active word. It's not a passive word. It's something that changes the course of our life. It changes our decisions. It changes the kind of person that we are. It is substance. So when God gives you a promise, and he says, this is what I'm going to do for you. Okay? Maybe that word is a ramo word that God spoke to you in your spirit, something that God spoke to you maybe a long time ago, that this is what he was going to do through you, or that he, this is what he was going to do in you, or this is what he was going to do for you, whatever it is that God has promised, or maybe it's a promise in his word to say that God, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, or maybe it's the, that he is our healer, or maybe the, whatever it is, he is our deliverer, what, whatever it is that we, this promise that we are trusting Him for, okay, we need to understand that faith is living like God has already given us what He promised us. Okay? So you live like God has already given it to you. Okay? And patience is okay, continuing to live in faith for as long as it takes for an extended period of time until the promise finally comes. That's what that's what patience, and we know what patience is, right? How I many of you need some patience? Lord, this morning, I'm driving to church, I got stuck behind an 18 wheeler, driving 35 miles an hour in a 55. Just saying, okay. <clears throat> we we all we all probably need more patience, and I'm not talking about road rage or any of those kinds of things. Even though maybe that is one area that we need it at, I know it's it is something for me too. Um, but we all need patience, you know. I think, and I, I want to. If you look at. If you look at scripture and you just look at the stories that are found in the Bible. If you look at just the stories that are well known in the Bible, okay? Abraham, for example, what did God promise Abraham? He said, I'm going to give you a son, right? Sarah was barren and couldn't have children. God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a son, he said, I want you to go outside in the night sky and I want you to look up in the sky. He said, you see all those stars? He says, that's going to be your descendants. This is, a, this is a promise that God was giving Abraham. From the moment that God promised Abraham to the moment that Abraham had a son was approximately 25 years. 25 years. Abraham had to wait 25 years from the promise to the fulfillment of the promise. When God speaks something into your life, listen, we struggle when we have to wait twenty five days. Why are you taking so long, God? Can we not have fast food prayer service going on right now? I mean, can I not can we have the microwave version of answered prayer right now, Lord? Okay, um, So when the Bible says that we're supposed to be imitators of those who receive the promise through faith and patience, how many of you know that when God promises something and you got to wait 25 years to receive it, it took some patience along the way? And how many people along the way would just say, forget it? Maybe God didn't talk to me, or maybe God did talk to me, and he just doesn't want to do what he said he was going to do. Whatever our reasons are and whatever our thinking is, okay, we we all want to get to that place, and we all want to have those excuses and act like because God hasn't done something for me, he said he was going to do a year ago, then maybe, maybe, maybe God ain't real, he don't love me, he didn't really say it, whatever it is. How about Joseph, huh? How about Joseph, right? We know Joseph. Remember Joseph? Remember Joseph had a dream? He had two dreams, right? And those dreams were basically saying that his family was going to come and bow down to him, and of course he made a mistake by going and telling his older brothers, hey, you're going to bow down to serve me. They didn't like that, right? You know how long... Joseph waited from the dream to the fulfillment of the dream? 22 years. And in that 22-year period of time, okay, in that 22-year period of time, he was betrayed by his family. He was left for dead, or going to be left for dead. Then he was sold into slavery where he was a slave. Okay? Then... um he he was uh, falsely accused and thrown in prison, right? And then got out of prison, and made a good name for himself. Then falsely accused again and thrown in prison. <clears throat> How many of us would just say, "It must have been the pizza I ate that night"? Because I'm not sure that this dream is ever coming to pass. Twenty-two years being betrayed by family, being sold into slavery, living amongst a nation that was not even his home, that wasn't even his people, was betrayed, was lied about, was <clears throat> you know, falsely accused, spent a lot of time in jail. Moses, right? You know, Moses... You know how many years Moses spent from the moment he left Egypt to the moment he came back to deliver the nation of Israel? You know how many years Moses spent in obscurity? You know, like in the middle of, he was in the middle of the wilderness tending, he became a shepherd. He became the second highest in all of Egypt to lowly shepherd in the middle of nowhere tending sheep. <clears throat> you know how many years Moses went through before God sent him back to rescue those people that were his people? Forty years. Forty years Moses waited. Forty years in obscurity. Forty years of just doing the same thing every day over and over and over again before the burning bush came and God said, I'm going to send you to this nation to go deliver them. You know, David... David was anointed king over Israel, right? So the prophet Samuel had said that God has rejected Saul as king, and he came and found David. We actually just did a long sermon series on David back in the fall, um, you know, talking about all of this. But he came and anointed David, said, you're going to be the next king, right? And David goes, and um, and then what happens is Saul becomes bitter and angry at David he becomes jealous of David he becomes envious of David to where Saul tries to kill David right so you know how long David spent running from a bitter angry old man that was trying to kill him who by the way happened to be the king who wasn't actually really anointed the new king because David was anointed the new king but David's running from the guy who's trying to kill him because this guy who's the king is not really, you know, favored by God anymore. David spent 15 to 20 years, or this is not really an exact date, 15 to 20 years running from Saul. who was trying to kill him after David had already been told he was going to be the new king. Look, all I'm saying is like, I'd be like, you can have it, man. Just forget it. Let me go somewhere else, man, where a whole nation's not trying to run me down and kill me just because I'm a good guy, just because God favors me, just because I love God, just because I honor him, you know, I'm Just not interested in that, <clears throat> right? You know, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah, Do you know that, um, It's it's believed that Jeremiah, not one time in his entire ministry did he ever see one convert in all of his years as a prophet. His own people rejected him. And not one time did he see on all those years of being a prophet to a nation and speaking the word of God to a nation, not one time did he ever see one convert, and yet he continued to speak the word that God told him to speak. How about Jesus, right, the Son of God? Even at, a, even at like 12 years old, and he was in the temple, you know, having theological conversations with the Pharisees and mind-boggling them. He was 12 years old, and he was mind-boggling the Pharisees in the temple, talking to them about spiritual things. They were like, how, how, did, how do you even know this stuff, right? But Jesus waited until he was 30 years old before God ever used him. He had to wait till he was 30 years old. The Son of God, being born in this earth, even at 12 12 years old, had the ability to speak spiritual truths that mind-boggled the greatest Pharisees in that day. And yet he still had to wait patiently another 18 years from that time before God said, Okay, now it's time. 18 years of waiting for God to say, Okay, now it's time. And then when God said it was time, he only had three and a half years. And Jesus did all of that in three and a half years. All right, so. You know, I heard the other day that postage stamps are getting more expensive. Anybody heard that? Is that that correct? Is that, really? But I guess that's the way it goes, right? Um, did you know postage stamps they um, um, they have one attribute that most of us could e- emulate. They stick to one thing until it gets there right? They stick to one thing until it gets there and I think sometimes um, that's the key right that's the key in life is understanding. That, um, that, that you know, we have to understand that the promises of God come to us um, not in our time frame and not in our schedule and not in our way and, and the things that we want and the way that we want God to do it. God's going to do it the way that he wants to do it. And he's not going to be in a hurry because of us. He's not going to fret because of us. Because what happens is, is, along the process of trusting God, along the process of waiting for God to to show up, we understand that God builds character inside of us. He 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 builds endurance and perseverance in us, so that we we aren't you know people that go up and down, up and down, over and over again. But he he develops this 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 sense of perseverance in us, so that we we can be steady. Sometimes I often wonder. Like how many, how many dreams have gone unfulfilled because people quit right before they got there? How many inventions never happened because people quit? One invention, one try too soon, right? Is it Thomas Edison? He, he, he I think, he had... 10,000 failures trying to create the alkaline battery before he finally got it right. Can you imagine trying something 10,000 times and getting it wrong? He said, You know, it wasn't failure. He said, I just learned 10,000 ways not to do what I was trying to do. Uh, Arthur Irving Stone, and Rob, if you'll come, or somebody. (coughs) Arthur Irving Stone spent a lifetime studying greatness. He spent a lifetime studying greatness, writing novelized biographies of such men like Michelangelo, Vincent van Gogh, uh, Sigmund Freud, and Charles Darwin. Uh, Stone, and of course, Charles Darwin, right? <clears throat> Stone was once asked if he had found a thread that runs through the lives of all these exceptional people. And he said, I write about people who, sometime in their life, have a vision or a dream or something that they should that should be accomplished, and they go to work. They are beaten over the head, knocked down, vilified, and for years they get nowhere. But every time they're knocked down, they stand up. You cannot destroy these people, and at the end of their lives, they've accomplished some modest part of what they set out to do. You hear? You hear what I'm saying? Greatness is not achieved in us in just a couple years of trying something. Greatness is achieved in us by perseverance and patience. Perseverance and patience. That I'm not going to stop doing what it is this dream, this passion. This thing that God has placed in my heart, I'm not going to stop, and I'm not going to give up on. It. I'm going to push through, and I'm going to persevere. I'm going to push through and persevere. That's how greatness is birthed in us. And I will tell you this: that God has done a lot over the ten years um, that I am thankful for here at Church on a Lot. Um, I think about some of the people that have come and gone, um, some of the lives that have been changed. I think about I think about think about my uncle Most of y'all don't know him cuz he was here before you but my Uncle Philip, who had, you know, Parkinson's, and for literally probably the first four years of our, of our church plant here, he would come and help us set up church. Every Friday night, he would come up here and help us set up church. And the guy could hardly even carry anything, but we would put something in his hand. And I'm, look, without exception, I mean, there were, I mean, there were exceptions. Maybe when he wasn't feeling good, but he couldn't, he couldn't walk well, he couldn't, and. And probably just about every time I asked if somebody wanted to get saved, he raised his hand. And he probably came down more than I can imagine just, you know, wanting to be prayed for. I think about um, other people come um, and, and been baptized and have since now gone on to be with the Lord. And and I think about um, the lives of people that we've seen in here have been healed of, of, of back pain and, and throat issues and and other things that we've prayed for over the years and, and what God has done. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for what God has done here at Church on a Rock over the past 10 years. But I also believe this, that, that the past is in the past, right? And so I can look back and I can be grateful for the journey and for the things that we've seen God do, but not be satisfied with where we are today, knowing that God has, listen, that the best is yet to come. Listen, the best is yet to come, okay? And I'll say this over your life too. Whatever journey that you're on, thing that you're going through in your life and you can look back on your life and I'm sure you can have incredible memories of of, of great times and great moments in your life and and probably memories of great struggle and great disappointment and great, maybe even failure and, and, and all those kinds of things that come along with it. But, I'll say, listen, the past is in the past, and the best is yet to come. For you, individually in your life, do you, listen, do you believe it? Listen, that your, your good days are not behind you. Okay? Your good days are not behind you. Your good days are in front of you. All right? And if we will hold on to the promise, hold on to the dreams, hold on to the things that God has placed in our life, um, and you hold on with faith and patience. It may take 25 years to get to where you feel like you're going, but it's not up to you anyways, right? And, and most of the time, our struggle is this. Our, our struggle with where God has us now is when we begin to compare ourselves to where other people are now. Right? So we look around at other people and think, well, my life's not like that person or my career's not like this person or I'm not I'm not as successful as this person and I thought that I was gonna be here at this particular moment of my life or and, and, and most of the time our struggle in our life and, and our, our disappointment of why we are where we are in the moment is because we look at other people and we think, Well, look, they're just other people are doing it so much better than I am. They have it so much easier than I they, they have, you know, and And we compare ourselves to other people. <clears throat> but every time you compare yourself to another person, you lose. Every time. Every time you compare yourself to somebody else, you lose. Why? Because you will either be better than that person or you will be less than that person. And God has you by yourself for a reason, okay? He has you, he's created you to be the individual that he wants you to be, to walk the journey and the path that he wants you to walk, to be grateful in the moments that you're in, to be satisfied um, with the, the moment you're in, but also be hungry for the greater opportunities to move forward with what God has for you. You can't compare yourself ever, ever, Can you? you can't compare yourself ever and come out winning you'll always lose. Will you stand to your feet this morning?